glad it is not true that there is a permanent, unshakable, unchallengeable celestial supervision. A divine North Korea in which no privacy, no liberty is possible from the moment of conception, not just till the moment of death, but until well after. I've been to North Korea and now I know what a prayerful state would look like. I know what it would be like to praise God from dawn till dusk. I've seen it happen. And it's the most disgusting and depressing and pointless and soulless thing you can picture. Welcome to the Anti-Theist Atheist Podcast, where every week we feature prominent speakers with their arguments against religion. Remember to subscribe and share. This season, each episode is showcasing opening speeches in religious debates with Christopher Hitchens. Today, we feature Christopher's opening remarks in a religious debate on whether God is great, recorded in May 2007. Hitchens begins with a reminder that religion comes from the infancy of our species. When we didn't know what we have learned over time as better thinking has progressed our understanding. He provides sound reasoning for myth creation, being that the mind searches for form and how unfortunately we are now stuck with what we made in our infancy when things said weren't exactly true. Recognizing we make our own myths, it is a good thing, however, that we do not take the old religious stories seriously. For example, the warrants for genocide, slavery, torture of children, genital mutilation, annexation, rape, etc. And it is a very good thing that we know these religious writings are man-made. Hitchens ends with how the behavior of religious fanatics is not just offensive to civilization but threatens it with people dying from religious dogma, from the killing of a Danish cartoonist to the threatening of education with teaching in schools of nonsense like intelligent design theory. Without any further throat clearing, here is the opening speech from Christopher Hitchens and remember, love all people, hate bad ideas. Christopher, I would like to start with you. What have you got against God? Good grief, so I had grief sunk in on me that as you were being ordained, uh, when I was nine, I was just getting out of there completely. It was nine when I thought I saw through it when my my biology teacher told me that God was so good as to have made vegetation green because it was the color most restful to our eyes. And I thought, Mrs. Watts, this is nonsense. I knew nothing about chlorophyll or photosynthesis, nothing about the theory of evolution, nothing about adaptation, nothing of the sort. I just knew she'd got everything all wrong. Um, and of course the argument against faith, against religion, falls into two essential halves, not necessarily congruent, but I believe congruent. The first is, it's not true. Uh, religion comes from the infancy of our species. I won't say race, because I don't think our species is subdivided by races. Infancy of our species when we didn't know that the uh, Earth went round the sun. We didn't know that germs caused disease. We didn't know when we were told in Genesis uh, you're given dominion over all creatures that this did not include microorganisms because we didn't know they were there. So you didn't know they had dominion over us. When diseases broke out, it was blamed on wickedness or sometimes on the Jews. 
or if it was by Jews, on the Amalekites, or as, as you will. We didn't know anything about the, the nature of the Earth's crust, how it was cooling, earthquakes, storms, all of this were a mystery. Well, we are at least to that extent a reasoning species. Even a conspiracy theory is often better than no theory at all. The mind searches for form. We're now stuck with the forms that we found in our infancy, in our, in our primitive, barbaric past. Well, that could be fine, still. No nation can be without mythology or myth or legend. Uh, and there are people who say, well, it's not exactly true. It, uh, virgins don't conceive, okay. Um, bushes don't burn forever. Although why that would be so impressive, I've never uh, understood many <laughs> Dead men don't walk and so on and so on. Okay, it's not really true. It does come from a rather fearful period of the Dark Ages, but at least it's nice to believe it. It, it teaches good precepts. This, I think, is very radically untrue. I give in my book the example, which I'll give you now, of a person very much influential on my youth and I know on the reverence too, Dr. Martin Luther King. My friend Taylor Branch's uh, book about uh, Dr. King, I would rather call him doctor than reverend, as, uh, because I'm sorry to say I think it's a higher title of honor. Uh, Taylor Branch's trilogy about him is called um, Parting the Waters, The Pillar of Fire, and At Jordan's Edge. And everybody literate here knows the story of Exodus and understands what Dr. King meant when he demanded that his people be free of bondage. But if you think about it for a second, it's a very good thing that the good doctor was only using this metaphorically. If he'd really been invoking the lessons of Genesis and Exodus, he would have been saying that his people had the right to kill anyone who stood in their way, to exterminate all other tribes, to mutilate their children's genitalia, to make slaves of those they captured, uh, to take the land and property of others, uh, to uh, engage in rather long and uh, hideous and elaborate arguments about ox goring, and finally, which is the, the sentence that ends that, or the verse that ends that section of the book, should not suffer a witch to live, the warrant for witch burning. In other words, in these books, there are the warrants for genocide, <laughs> for slavery, uh, for the torture of, of children, uh, for disobedience, uh, for genital mutilation, for annexation, for rape, and all the rest of it. It's a very good thing that this is man-made. There are those who say that they wish they could believe, and I suppose a decent atheist could say that if only for lack of evidence he wishes he or she could. I can't be among their number. I'm very glad it is not true that there is a permanent, unshakable, unchallengeable celestial supervision a divine North Korea in which no privacy, no liberty is possible from the moment of conception, not just till the moment of death, but until well after. I've been to North Korea and now I know what a prayerful state would look like. I know what it would be like to praise God from dawn till dusk. I've seen it happen. And it's the most disgusting and depressing and pointless and soulless thing you can picture. But at least with North Korea, you can die and you can leave. <laughs> Christianity won't let you do that, because I mentioned another thing about the Old Testament. The Old Testament may have, um, and the, or any Jews and Christians who like it may like this too. They may have genocide, rape, racism, all the rest of the things I've mentioned, but it never mentions punishment of the dead. When you're done, when you're in the mass grave into which you've been thrown as an Amalekite, it's over. Not until gentle Jesus, meek and mild, is the concept of hell introduced. Eternal torture, eternal punishment, for you and all your family 
for the smallest transgression. I have no hesitation in saying this is a wicked belief. I've also no hesitation in saying, and I mustn't trespass on uh, the reverence time, um, that we don't need it in two senses. One is it's wicked. Two, we have and always have had a much superior tradition. We, we, uh, we know that Democritus and Epicurus worked out in ancient Athens the world was made of, of atoms, that the gods did not exist and certainly took no interest in human affairs and would be foolish to do so and would be wicked if they did. We have the tradition that brings us through uh, Galileo and Spinoza and Thomas Paine um, and Voltaire and Thomas Jefferson and Bertrand Russell and Albert Einstein, men of great wisdom and insight, by all means struck by the awe-inspiring character of our universe, by all means open to devotional music and architecture and poetry, by all means aware of the transcendent, but look through the Hubble telescope if you want to see something that is awe-inspiring. And don't look to blood-stained old myths. Now, why now? Why am I doing this now, people ask. Well, I'll tell you why now, because in the last few years, it's become impossible to turn a page of a newspaper without being, as the religious would say, offended. <laughs> in other words, I don't think I sound self-pitying if I say that I'm offended that a cartoonist in a tiny democratic country in Scandinavia, Denmark, can't do his job without a death threat, and that no American magazine or newspaper would reprint those cartoons, either to elucidate the question or in solidarity. I'm offended that civil society in Iraq is being destroyed, leveled, by the parties of God. I'm offended that people in this country believe that they have the right to advocate the teaching of garbage to children under the fatuous name of intelligent design. I believe that we're... Um, oh, I thought you'd never clap. Um, just as I believe that where religion ends, philosophy begins, where alchemy ends, chemistry begins, where... Astrology ends, astronomy begins, and now the people will say, well, let's give equal time to astrology in the schools. It's nonsense, dangerous and sinister nonsense. Uh, the Pope says, AIDS may be bad, but condoms are much worse. What kind of moral teaching is this? And how many people are going to die for such dogma? You see what I mean? So, I just, I'll, I'll be very brief. An end to this, an end particularly to the cultural cringe that says, that if someone can claim to be a religious spokesman, they are entitled to respect. I have to say it in your presence, sir. I think that the title reverend is something people would, should be more concerned to live down than to live up to. Thank you. <laughs> we